0: There will be spoilers ahead. Lots of spoilers, so be careful, won't you?
1: Okay, people, here's how it went down. Stop me if it gets too close to the bones, see? Yeah, you, Sven you were tired of Jorgensen horning in on your illegal herring smuggling so you framed Spanish Bob for the murder of Iron Steve Marino because you knew Captain Frangipans would suspect Sweet Isabel instead. That would leave the way clear for street sweeper Izzy to move in on the south side underground poodle grooming ring, but at the same time Louis Underoos and his wife Bitsy Sue could have their second cousin's daughter's roommate, Jazz Baby Phone Bone, flown out of the country before she could be implicated in any of the Bumpy Bucks laundering That's been going on in the basement Of the Lutheran Youth Center It's all so obvious <laughs> You're a it's, loon It's been big four hooves behind this the whole time Well it's the glue factory For you Bumpy Take him away boys Yes if it's straightforward narrative And easy to follow plot threads like that Which are hallmarks of the film noirs Films noir. That we've films we've been talki- noirs. Hmm? films noirs, films noirs. Okay, <laughs> that we've been talking about at Max Mike Movies in our series Walk the Dark Street. Then this week's entry, boy, howdy, is this a spilled pack of horn- corn husk Jim Jams? D- huh? No, I don't know what that means. But <laughs> this week we're discussing another Raymond Chandler adaptation, The Big Sleep, starring that glorious screen duo. Elisha Cook Jr. and Sonia Darren. Huh? Okay, no, it's actually Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall, but I think Cook and Darren could really have been something. Too bad they never actually appear on screen together. Or do they? No. No, they don't. (laughs) I'm your host, Max Levine, one half of a smoldering podcast duo. (laughs) And over there, smoldering lightly on a low flame until he turns a crispy golden brown, is your other host, Mike Luce. Hit him with the smolder, Mike.
0: Put me out! Put me out!
1: (laughs) (laughs) But before we get to all this smoldering, we've got uh, the poll question.
0: Poll question.
1: Last week we asked you, what is your favorite foreign, non-American film? And by non-American we mean, not good Oh, was, please. All the good films are American. <laughs> Stop. My country, save, save the queen. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Hoffman leads off with, weirdly enough, and for personal reasons, I'd say Das Boot. Huh. But only if it, if watched in German without subtitles? Oh, Lord. Uh, I'm going to go with no. Bonnie Musinski took our German class to see it at the end of the mod, and it was really amazing to understand it in the original language. And it's just a great movie. I'll give you that, but without the subtitles, it would just be Gibberish and Submarines. Benjamin Carl says, Blood Throne, I believe he meant Throne of Blood, mm. Akira Kurosawa, a brilliant adaptation of Macbeth, oops, I'm not supposed to say that out loud, With huh? within a, you're not supposed to say Macbeth. You're not an actor. But I play one on TV. Oh, you got a point. Within a samurai motif. Even translated to Japanese and translated back again to English for the subtitles, this film captures the heart of Shakespeare's work better than most uh, Better than most original English productions. Interesting. Hmm. Brandon Day says, Amélie is my favorite. Oh. oh. But there are lots of great ones I love. I feel obliged to mention The Double Life of Veronique. What a beautiful, haunting film. Hmm. I don't know. I've never seen that. Oh, others will cover Japan, no doubt. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> I Jeor- wonder who. George Solnier, who sounds foreign, is hard, hard to say. Oh, okay. Continue. I'm a huge fan of Bergman. There's a period in the late 50s to late 60s where I find his films flawless. Wow, that's quite Hmm. a claim. Yeah. Wild strawberries through a glass darkly, smiles of a summer night, The Seventh Seal, The Virgin Spring, Persona, Winter Light. I couldn't decide. I also love Antonioni's blow-up. Brian Paul McStravick says, Life is beautiful. Well, that's a nice sentiment, Paul. Brian, but uh, what's it's your favorite? Italian movie. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> right, wait, what's his name? How Benito? fired are you? Benito Just Mussolini guess. or whatever his no!
0: name is. <laughs> no! Mussolini? All right,
1: Benito. Um, yeah. At least Benini
0: made the trains run on time. <laughs> <Yeah>. Val Coons. <laughs> Hugh Footsteps. Uh, Do you
1: have <laughs> something in your throat? Uh, no, nothing. Hugh Footsteps. Uh, Hugh Footsteps. Hugh Footsteps, yes. For sentimental reasons, Ingmar Bergman's The Magic Flute, oh, mm, except yeah. for the constant shots of his daughter, is on the list. I remember really liking Day for Night, my favorite kind of lens, when I first saw it in the late 70s. Shall We Dance, the original Japanese film, of course, is wonderful, but the one that on, goes on top and will never be replaced is We Should Have Seen This Coming. Yeah. Strictly Ballroom. Yeah, uh, Ethan Curran with another vote for Amelie. Mm. Dr. Professor Rebecca Peltke has one that I am guaranteed to mispronounce. Atanar Juat, the first feature film in Inuk... Oh, boy. Inuit? No, it's not. Inu, Inutictun. I'm sorry, I said it wrong. I, I know I did, but whatever. It's the best the closest I could get. Uh, Let the right one in. Oh, if you include English language films from other countries, then rhymes. Rhymes for young ghouls, Hmm. which is Mi'kmaq... Will you stop that? (laughs) Becca, are you just trying to make make my jaw dislodge? I believe it's Mi'kmaq slash Canadian, and I second Strictly Ballroom. You couldn't have just said Strictly Ballroom. No, she's trying to broaden your horizons. uh, My horizons are plenty broad. Yeah, sure. Or maybe that's my butt. Um, (laughs) Adam Mark says so, so hard... What's even foreign these days since so many U.S. films are shot abroad? Uh, Mm No, no, it doesn't matter where they're shot, it matters who produced them. Mm -hmm. Would Gosford Park count? Yes. Let's say yes. It was produced by USA Films and Capitol Films of the UK, so I hope that's enough. Well, all right, but don't let it happen again. (laughs) It's definitely an English film. Oh, boy, is it through and through, with director Robert Altman at his zenith and writer Julian Fellowes' worst tendencies reigned in. (laughs) Nicely put. A cast of literally hundreds, but it all works so wonderfully with tight writing and amazing atmosphere. Themes of class, wealth, Anglo-American relations, sex and infidelity, old versus new, politics and the interlude between one world-changing war and the trepidation of the next to come. The hypocritical triumph and those who debase themselves for money succeed. Syrup, Though sumptuously shot, every upstairs shot, every jewel and every fur is real. Ooh, wow. A masterpiece of cinema in a svelte 137 minutes. It's one of my favorite films and I watch it every winter. You were talking about that one last week, weren't you? Yeah, I
0: really like Gosford Park. Mm. It's a really good movie. I, I didn't think of it as being foreign because, of course, you know, they're all very white and very, you know, (laughs) speaking English, Mm. but they're
1: British and Irish and Scottish, so. Mm. Jamie Kleinert says, The Red Violin, obviously because it's about a musical instrument, but also the story is just haunting and engaging what every kid dreams of the backstory of their own instrument. It was the first movie I got carded for. It came out my sophomore year of college. I saw it at the Great Lakes Crossing AMC about six months after the complex opened, when it was the top theater destination in our area. Hmm. Hmm. Dave. Dave. Reigns himself in quite a bit. Okay, so if we narrow it down to favorite foreign movie in the last year, (laughs) that's well done, Dave, because otherwise I I don't know how you'd narrow it down. And foreign does not include Japan, Germany, or France. (laughs) Then I could pick one. Well, that kind of eliminates a lot of them, but sure. To be honest, Germany and France fall out if we limit it to last year. Wow. Hmm. I really felt like Kahani put me in the streets of Kolkata, Is that, I don't know if that's the actual spelling of Calcutta, but Calcutta and Bob Biswas was a great villain. It was available on the airplane and had an IMDb rating of over eight, so I watched it with no expectations. Hmm. Huh. We have to look into that one. That's a pretty expensive way to watch a movie, but whatever. Man, hard to walk out if you don't like it. Ah! Bruce Herr Jr. says, I'm going to say La Vie en Rose. Oh, wow. Marion Cotillard as Edith Piaf was absolutely sublime, and she fully deserved that Best Actress Oscar. Geneva Brunetti says, oh, best I can do is narrow it down. La Haine, M, mm. I don't know that one. M. M-, M right. <laughs> Cleo from 5 to 7, that's an interesting one. Rules of the Game, ooh, grim. Breathless, Unironically, Sorry, Not Sorry, Life is Beautiful, and La Femme Nikita, the 1990 mm. version. Gee, not the American remake? <laughs> Funny that. <laughs> Dan Schaefer says, I'm recently on a Bollywood kick. And apparently he likes one called RRR. Fired. Yep. RRR. Wait, I'm the dumb one. What are you doing? <laughs> I'm hosting this week. I get to be dumb. Oh. But Besides. how that works. It's a dramatic twist. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. Totally is. You're a dramatic twist. <laughs> well, anyway, er is one of the most fun Bollywood R-R-R. movies ever. Over-the-top action, an amazing bromance, and of course some excellent dance production numbers. This is true. There's another one I like called Happy New Year, which combines an Ocean's Eleven style heist with an international dance contest. Uh, yeah, that's intriguing. The only problem with Bollywood movies is that they are all about three hours long. Wow. All of them? Oh dear. Then there's Bahubali 1 and 2, a full movie within a full movie spanning two separate films for a total of five and a half hours. <laughs> Yikes! I have to go to the bathroom. Ah, you're not allowed. The first one begins the frame story and then does half the flashback. The second one finishes the flashback, then finishes the frame story. Wow. Man, that's ambitious. Yeah. Regan McStravick. Wait a minute. That's two (laughs) McStravicks in the same... Anyway. Ooh, so many to choose from. we got another one for Double Life of Veronique, followed closely by the Blue, White, and Red trilogy. Mm. Mano of the Spring, Amelie, City of Lost Children, pro- mm. most anything by Kurosawa. But the one I have watched the most is probably Cinema Paradiso. It's oh. oh, supposed to be terrific, and I have never seen it. You know, neither
0: have I. Yeah. And both of us had ample opportunity. We did. I, I could go to the Harvard Square Theater.
1: You worked
0: there. yeah. So. yeah
1: could have seen it any time. Never did. Derek Steele. P. It's I. his real name. Private investigator. Says, no, he isn't. City of God, Brazilian gang film, told through the eyes of a young photographer. Yeah, I've heard of that one. That sounds very hard to watch. Mm. Roland Hardy, Elevator to the Gallows. This oh. is a great noir French film of the fifties oh. with an equally great Miles Davis soundtrack. Oh, oh wow! Why aren't we watching that? I don't know. I think they may have to go mm. on the list. It might. Agatha Gasparoni says, "I haven't seen many, but I loved Parasite." Oh, yeah, again, not a fun one to watch, but good movie. Interesting. Mm. Keith Wright, hmm, where do I know him from? Possibly also, Q footsteps, The Host, Sunny. Ringu, the Japanese, oh. not the ring, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, oh, yeah. Lamb, which I assume is a separate movie, because I kind of would be into watching Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Lamb. <laughs> that would be interesting. Some others. Princess Dragon Lamb. Yeah, <laughs> some others whose That's titles it. I can't remember at present. I see. We're going to have to beat it out of you. No! Well, that's pretty... no. Stop it! I'm in I'm fired. The zone. Kate Warner says, hands down, The Lives of Others. Hmm. Ooh, I don't know that one. Hmm. I have some weirdly in- specific English favorites, but they just make me feel at home. Still, when I saw The Lives lives of Others in theaters, it left a mark and has been one of my favorite movies ever since. Hmm. It's a beautifully human story. Hmm. Charles Forsythe says, gee, it's hard to pick which Uva Bowl movie is best. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that, that is a hard choice. Uh, so he, I go with Peculiarities of the National Hunt, which he then puts in Russian. It says, osobinosti nacionaloi okoti, I think. Do yeah. uh, Perestroika. Uh, in this movie, a Finnish graduate student comes to Russia to study hunting traditions. He dreams of the regal outings of the Czars, but ends up spending a long weekend mostly drinking vodka and getting into trouble hmm. i don 't see the problem there It makes for a smashing film <laughs> I think my favorite moment is when the drunken hunters are crouched behind a berm. I think that's an actual word. I don't know what it, I forget what it means. Waiting for game to wander by, and Bigfoot strolls casually <laughs> through the background. No one notices. This cracks me up every time. Okay, <laughs> awesome. we haven't even seen it. Wow. And of course, our foreign correspondent from that foreign land, most foreign of Canada, Vince, says, my favorite foreign film. I will mention Hollywood films are foreign films here, but I won't be a pedantic penguin wrangler. <laughs> Well done, Vince. Uh, is Herzog's Aguirre, The Wrath of God? Oh, boy. Yeah, he's a big Herzog fan. Oh, wow. I refused to get a DVD player until it came out on DVD. I wanted it to be the first thing I saw on the player. Vince, do you need help? Can we, can, <laughs> is there someone we should call? He likes German films. I know, he but Herzog is so friggin' grim. Well, what about you, Mike? What's, what's your favorite <coughs> non-American film? Toughie, I mean, yeah. I,
0: there's, there's ones that make it to these shores and are easier to see, like Crouching Tiger and sure. the Dragon, which is very good. And there's, I actually saw the red violin in the theater because mm. right around the late 90s, early 2000s, you actually could see films like that even in regular, you know, mall based theaters. I have a big soft spot for a lot of Jackie Chan films. Yeah, you know, I really yep. like Police Story and Absolutely. I really Armor like Armor of God. Uh, yeah. yeah, they're a lot of fun. I also really like Amelie. Amelie was really charming. I got to see... That was the same thing. I got to see that in a in regular mall theater, and it was very charming. Mm-hmm. It also is weird that we immediately went and bought the DVD and have never watched it again, <laughs> which is... I don't understand okay. why. Yeah. I really like a... I don't know if it's as popular as it was back when it came out, but I think it's an 80s uh, Hong Kong film called Chinese Ghost Story.
1: Oh, Yeah.
0: That's a cool one. It is a really fun film. They remade it, and that was unnecessary. Doesn't it have, like, two or three sequels? I think it does. I think it does. But, like, then I have to say, well, do I choose that over a Kurosawa film? Because as much as I love Seven Samurai, I was told by people, no, no, watch Jimbo. It's even better. It's And Dave was right. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. How about you, Max? Yeah. I, I honestly, I can't pick. There are so many. I would go with with Yo Jimbo is certainly one. Mm-hmm. I just in terms of the number of times I've seen it. But there's a French film I really liked, even though it's depressing as hell, called Children of the Paradise. Mm-hmm. And that one really, that hit me hard.
0: Yeah. I mean, the original French Beauty and the Beast is an amazing oh, film. the Cocteau one, yeah. Yeah, and I actually saw La Jetée, on which was based uh, 12 Monkeys, mm. and that's actually a film told in slides, if you can believe that. There's only I've one heard point. of that.
1: I've never seen that version. It's wow. not that
0: long, but it's it's interesting. Mm. Um, I mean, I just get to see these things, and they're because there's more work involved for us, not being native language speakers of whatever the film was shot in. Yeah. It's harder, and I don't think we go back to them as often. But they're no less powerful in their ways. So, mm. yeah, it's a tough call. It is. And then, of course, you have to include all of
1: the gamma films, sure, because, and Godzilla, and yep. Godzilla, and all the all knock-offs. the kaiju movies. Come on, who are we kidding? We yeah. love them. So, but, yes. yeah, tough question. Very tough. But those were some amazing answers, and they ranged a lot more, more widely than I was
0: expecting. Uh, not only did they range more widely, but people were very passionate about the, which is actually
1: and really... And gave really good explanations of what it was about the movies that they yeah, liked. Yeah, like Bigfoot showing up. <laughs> yeah, now there's like a whole bunch of these I want to see now. Yeah, so yeah, thanks for those answers, not only for answering our question, but giving us stuff to look at. Yeah. So. And your, your prize this week for answering this question is another question! Yeah. Wow! When you watch a mystery or thriller, do you try to figure out who done it in advance, or do you just let the story carry you along? Yeah, there's certain people out there that I know how they're going to answer. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, you, well, at the end of the episode, we will reveal the mystery of how to answer that question. Yeah, some mystery. You, yeah, big mystery. <laughs> but now... Facts. Budget. By the way, this is still the long goodbye. Um, No, it's the big sleep. No, no, it's the (laughs) long goodbye. Fired. (laughs) How many times can I fire you? Let's find out, shall we? (laughs) (laughs) Let's go for the record. Yes, the big sleep. This budget was one point six million. Okay. This is in nineteen forty-six. That ain't hey. Well, you know what's really interesting is the budget for this film is almost equal to the budget for
0: Diva. Really? Well, Diva Which was, was like, like one 30
1: th- years later. Yeah, and,
0: <laughs> wow, you know, yeah. production values, I want to say, are actually in some ways better than D.Va. Yeah, yeah.
1: The gross, $4.9 This made money. So that's why we have Big Sleep 2. Exactly. Big Sleep, Big, Sleep, Big Sleep 2, The Sleepening. <laughs> this was directed by the master of rapid dialogue, Howard Hawks. Yeah. And it was ad- adapted from, of course, the Raymond Chandler novel of the same name, the screenwriters, were William Faulkner yeah that William Faulkner the Nobel Prize winning author oh that guy yeah Jules Fir- Firthman who wrote also a bunch of westerns and a bunch of uh, a bunch of other film noirs film noirs Lee Brackett who wrote The Long Goodbye which we just saw oh. also Rio Bravo and then she wrote this weird little you know B science fiction movie called The Empire Strikes Back did she really? she was one of the writers huh here. Yeah, Lee Brackett, by the way, is a woman. Something, as I'll get to, Howard Hawks didn't know. Uh, ah! This was, this was the film that established the long relationship between Howard Hawks and Lee Brackett until his death in 1977. Initially, he assumed she was a man. Hawks hired her after reading a story she wrote entitled No Good for a Corpse. When she was hired, she had only finished half of one other story. That was the only story she had completed, she had only written half of this other story called *Lorelei of the Red Mist*, and a buddy of hers finished it for her. Uh, he was this hack named Ray Bradbury. Nope, never heard of him. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart read the script and objected to some of the lines that he thought were too genteel for the character. He assumed they'd been written by Lee Brackett, cause she was, you know, a woman lady person. <laughs> Brilliant explanation. When he went to request, sorry, request rewrites from her, she told him they were William Faulkner's lines, <laughs> and then she proceeded to make the dialogue even more hard boiled and tough. As a result, he nicknamed her Butch. Okay. Little story. This is apparently true. William Faulkner. He wrote a bu- he wrote a bunch of screenplays in his early days. He lived in Hollywood. He didn't like it. We'll get to that. He read. The Big Sleep, as he was trying to adapt it. The Big Sleep begins with the mention of a disappearance of a guy named Sean Regan, who, spoiler, we find out is dead. Apparently, we don't see him. No. We never see his body, but he's dead. Faulkner finished the book and sat there writing, trying to write the treatment, and went, wait a minute, I can't can't figure out, I don't remember who killed Sean Regan. This is a pretty big plot point. Mm. So he read the book again, and he still couldn't figure it out. He read it a third time. All this in one weekend. He couldn't figure out. He was so humiliated. He called Raymond Chandler. said, Mr. Mister Chandler. This is exactly how William Faulkner sounded. Yeah. Despite the fact he was from the South. Excuse me. Mr. Chandler. Maybe he should talk to his manager. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Chandler. I say, Mr. Chandler. Uh, I've read this book three times. I cannot figure out. Who killed Sean Regan? I'm so sorry. Can can you just tell me? And Faulkner's like, oh no, no, Chandler. Chandler, excuse me. Chandler is like, okay, kid, hang on, let me just go through back through my notes. I'll call you back. He calls him back, goes, Faulkner, I don't know. I can't figure it out either. I forgot. Just make up something. <laughs> just just put whatever you want it and by the way you can kind of tell because at the end when we find out it's really kind of tacked on we'll get to that we will i have questions oh, yeah there are there have been persistent rumors about Lauren Bacall's singing in both this film and Into to have and have not the rumors are that they were her voice was dubbed by Andy Williams <laughs> <laughs> this is Howard Hawks insists this is not true. I don't think it's true. I kind of doubt it. On the first day of shooting, Bogie allegedly had about five or six drinks at lunch, which really annoyed Howard Hawks and just let loose on Bogart, who was then limited to one beer at lunch. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty tough, considering Bogie did like to bend the elbow. Um, What does that mean? Is that a euphemism for sex? No. Oh. (laughs) Due to Humphrey Bogart's affair with co-star Lauren Bacall... What? Yeah, yeah, I know. He was married at the time. (gasps) Marital problems escalated during filming, and his drinking often resulted in his being unable to work. Three months after the film was finished, Bacall and Bogart were married. Aw, I I guess. Aww. Uh, Bogie's indecision over whether or not to leave his wife triggered a massive bout of what they called then a bout of nerves for Lauren Bacall, which we would call panic attacks now. Which is why, in the movie, her hands are shaking so often when she's trying to light a cigarette or pour a drink. Oh, and he keeps pointing it out, too. How nice of him. Oh, we'll get to the pointing out stuff. In recutting the film, Howard Hawks removed a scene where Marlowe explains all of the crimes. Oh. Yeah, the film's success supported his growing conviction that audiences didn't care if a plot made sense as long as they had a good time. Um, excuse me? Yeah, yeah, that's a bit annoying. The fussy persona that Marlowe adopts upon arriving in Geiger's oh, book yeah, hmm? was has been a subject for argument for years. Lauren Bacall said that Bogart came up with it, but Howard Hawks claimed in the interviews that it was his idea. What both of them failed to mention is that it's in the original book. The quote that from Chandler is, I had my horn-rimmed glasses on, I put my voice high and let a bird twitter in. All Bogart did was elaborate on that. Hmm. Philip Marlowe's habit of like rubbing his earlobe while deep in thought, that's actually just something Bogart did and he incorporated it into the movie. Actually, didn't even notice that. Yeah, I was watching for it. He does it all the time. Oh, I thought that was just a signal to say hi to his daughter. Uh no. <laughs> <laughs> There's a deeper. <laughs> William Faulkner came out to Hollywood to work on the film but found that being around the set didn't agree with him. I think it gave him the vapors. <laughs> so he asked Howard Hawk if he could work, quote, from home. Hawks assumed Faulkner meant from his Hollywood apartment, but no, Faulkner went to his home in Oxford, Mississippi, Ah. which kind of pissed off Mr. Hawks. Oh, so he's a frontrunner of the whole work-from-home thing. Yeah, kind of. Thank you, Mr. Faulkner. Mm -hmm. The scene where uh, Bogart and Bacall are sort of doing a suggestive talk about horses, that was added almost a year after filming. The rest of the filming was complete in an attempt to inject the film with a little more of the risque innuendos that uh, made To Have and Have Not so popular. I see. Bogart had to wear platform shoes, by the way, <laughs> to appear taller than his two leading ladies, Lauren Bacall and Martha Vickers. Oops. This may be, speaking of pointing things out, this may be the reason both women taunt him about his lack of height. <laughs> uh, there are a whole bunch of ways in this movie where they try to hide that bogey was 5'8", and Bacall is like 5'9". Mm. You know, you notice, first of all, all, the women wear flats, which is unusual at this time, and whenever Bacall is in the car with him, you notice she slouched way <laughs> down in the passenger seat. I remember when I first time I saw that thinking, that looks really uncomfortable. Why is she doing that? It's only an inch. Yeah, I know. It's not even that but, big a deal. I mean, but to be fair,
0: 5'8 is pretty damn short. I mean, you know, you have to agree. Oh.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Your death will I'll not be pleasant. I'll um, just slouch yes. here on the couch. <laughs> uh, Mar- Mars's henchmen. It's very hard for me to remember Eddie Mars because I keep wanting to call him Kenneth Mars. Oh yeah. yeah. His henchmen are named, if you noticed, Sydney and Pete. Okay. Which is a tribute, intentional, to Sydney Greenstreet and Peter Laurie. Oh. I also like to point out a little, uh, in addition to the height difference, Bogey. Uh, Humphrey Bogart was 47 when this movie is made, despite the fact Philip Marlowe is supposed to be 38. Yeah. Lauren Bacall is 22. Oops. Yeah. Well, that's right, she'd get older. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's there's a lot of other stuff. I bet. But uh, I Oh, that's... I am dying um, for the next part. Uh, <laughs> so, Max,
0: do put all of this in perspective and make a nice clear synopsis, won't
1: you? Oh, boy. Look, if it was too much for William Faulkner, I don't know what you expect from me. Everything. So, private dick <laughs> <laughs> Philip Marlowe, played by Bogey, card. is hired by General Sternwood because one of his daughters, the hot and crazy Carmen, is being blackmailed for something, and also the General's chum and former driver Sean Regan is missing, but that's not important. Or is it? The General's other daughter, Vivian, played by the very Hamina, 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 Lauren (laughs) Bacall, wants to know why her father hired Marlowe, because apparently asking Dad is out of the question because of stuff and reasons. It's our two favorite things. Uh, Vivian is also a gambler who is mixed up with a gangster named Kenneth, sorry, Eddie Mars, (laughs) no relation to Bruno, whose wife may or may not have run off with Sean Regan, and maybe Mars is blackmailing Carmen. Or maybe it's this bookseller named Geiger, no relation to HR. You can't trust those booksellers. Mm -mm. Whoops, no, now he's dead. So wait, it's a guy named Joe Brody. Whoops, nope, now Joe's dead. So maybe it's someone else. And what about Agnes? And a little guy named Jonesy. And now there's an old garage involved. And pictures of Carmen, which are apparently... Bad? More <laughs> bodies keep turning up. Many guns are pulled. Marlo and Vivian flirt shamelessly with each other until they finally kiss. Marlo dumps a lot of exposition at random times. Eddie Mars gets what's coming to him. Carmen's going away to a nut house. And Marlo and Vivian end up together. Probably. There. Where's my Nobel Prize? The film.
0: I'm going to give you a No prize. That's what I'm going to give you. <laughs> Yeah, no, the I Mary don't March-
1: Mary Marvel Marching Society? Yes, that's exactly oh, boy. What I'm <laughs> trying to describe the plot of this movie. <laughs> I think I sprained something in my frontal lobes. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I don't blame you. So I'm um, glad you had to do this one. What, usual question. Do you remember the first time you saw
1: this? Ugh. <sighs> Honestly, I've seen this movie a bunch of times. Yeah. I believe I did see it in a theater, not, of course, when it came out. Really? Well, that, that would require a time machine. <laughs> yeah. And, well, admittedly, that'd be a good re- way to use it. Sure. Uh, I, it wasn't at the Harvard Square. It was at, I think it was in this little theater in Maine. Oh. Yeah. Oh, and, like up in Bar Harbor? Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. I think that's where I, I first saw it. just the place. Mm hmm. What about you? I saw it last year. The, for the first time. I just was oh, in a wow. kick. I
0: think it actually might have been when I had COVID. I got oh, into it. Okay. Uh, I want to watch some noir films. And I'd never seen it. There's actually a bunch of bogey uh, films I had not seen. And I was like, what the heck? And so I watched The Big Sleep. And I it's not a film to watch when you're not, shall we say, fully men- mentally competent.
1: Yeah. Uh, I you will You will lose track of everything. It
0: really was a case of oh, that's kind of neat, and I then probably took a nap. I mm-hmm. might have taken a nap in the middle. But then I watched it for this show, and of course now it all makes perfect.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I so, do like the opening stuff. We're going to talk You about mean the, the smoking? Because it starts it's right up with smoking. All, as always, the answer is tobacco. <laughs> yeah. But we do want to talk somewhat about the cast. I'd like to start, actually, with General Sternwood, who's played by a guy named Charles Waldron.
0: I really like that character. Isn't he terrific? He's terrific. He's really interesting because he's this great mix of I was a horrible person, and I admit I was a horrible person. He's
1: absolutely upfront. He, yeah, he has no illusions about who he is or what his family is like. He's a fascinating character. The actor Charles Walden Baldron, This was his last film. Oh, and he died before it was released. Oh, he never got to see it. I was sorry we didn't get more of him. Oh, I see mm. why. Because yeah, maybe he did it. I don't know. <laughs> it is too bad. He's in one scene, and he's one of the most interesting. Characters, Yeah. So he's a lot of fun. Yeah. Carmen, the, the, the crazy little sister. Yeah. Martha Vickers. She actually, there was apparently a lot more footage of hers. Okay. But Hawks thought she, oh no, Chandler, excuse me, Raymond Chandler saw it and said she's kind of overshadowing Lauren Bacall with just the pure sexuality.
0: I mean... There's nothing subtle about her. She no. throws herself at Bogey more Literally, than once. As yeah. he puts
1: it, she tried to sit on my lap while I was standing up.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think she does a great job. I don't like the character
1: much. No, no but she's, she does a terrific job. She does a terrific job. And you, of course, recognize Jonesy. Elisha Cook Jr.? Yeah. Well, sure, he's Wilmer. As soon
0: as he shows up, I'm like, no, keep away from Wilmer! Uh, no, he's Samuel T. Cogley from an uh, yep. episode of Star
1: Trek. Yep, yep. And, uh, and, and the creepy caretaker from House on Haunted Hill.
0: I think he also rep- reprised his role, sort of, mm-hmm. from Maltese Falcon in an episode of The Odd Couple. He played the heel, oh, who was a okay. hitman from Chicago <laughs> who killed people with his shoe. In The Odd Couple? In The Odd Couple. That, that's kind of dark, but... yeah. I think he turned out to be a cop undercover, but whatever.
1: I like also the way the general describes the two his daughters. You know, Carmen is still a little child who likes to pull the wings off of flies. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. But Lauren Bacall.
0: She's okay. I mean, I think she's so overrated. (laughs) I knew you couldn't get through that with a straight face. No. No, and the thing that I like about her is it's not even just her character. Mm. You just know that she can totally stand toe to toe with Bogey. She can handle well, anybody. I mean, well, you know, yeah. a little
1: taller than that. <laughs> yeah, but. She, yeah, she
0: could. He could look her right in the chin, and uh. I mean, she may only be twenty two, but mm. the way she
1: just sort of oozes onto screen and that confidence she has—just the little—the thing I love, the thing that just sets it up—is the first time we see her when Bogey is going into you. Know, Mrs. Rutledge wishes to see you. I like Norris the Butler too. He's fun, mm. and uh, he walks in, and she's over by the bar. And she looks at him and gives this little smile and looks away, and it's like, <laughs> well, okay, I'm in
0: love with you. Well, and part of it, you have to wonder, is it? because of what they were doing behind the scenes, or Maybe. what? It's I don't know. Tell. But I have no problem, like, believing that she can do whatever she needs to yeah. do. And you also have to sit there and wonder. They don't talk about much about her husband, who's no longer around, but it's like, is there supposed to be any question there? Because if you told me that she, um, like a praying mantis, yeah. did it with him and then bit his head off, I would I'd believe, have believed it. I
1: would have believed it, and I bet she had a good reason. Sure. Sure. Is a, there are a couple of small parts in this I really like. There's a lot of small yeah. parts. I mean, first off, we, let's talk about Alicia Cook Jr. Sure, as Harry Jones, he's great. Yeah, and he's and again, this is a character I wish he'd been in the movie more. Yeah, because he's in like two scenes and then dies. Well, so. they
0: throw him in at the end. It's yeah. like it's not. Confusing and convoluted enough. Hey, here's a new guy you don't even know about, yeah. and they even just mention him. And in fact, he he says are uh, being shattered by this guy in a gray Packard or whatever yeah. or a gray Plymouth, and we never even see it. Yep, yep. So it's like, whoa, you are? Oh, okay. And then we find out that he's doing it, and then he shows up, and then he dies. Yeah. So it's a good death scene, though. But oh yeah,
1: and yeah, it's very. It's actually very moving. He dies to protect the woman he loves, who doesn't really give a crap about him or Agnes. anybody. Yeah. Who. Also does a very good job. She does a terrific job. Another one, character who's in one scene, and that's she doesn't even have a name. She's Acme Bookshop proprietress. I loved her. Yes, that was Dorothy Malone, who so, was a big bombshell. Uh, who was? This was like her first movie. Wow. And Hawks was saying, no, "You got to use your sexuality in this." <laughs> and boy, does she! So and,
0: this, yeah, this brings up thing that, that I was going to bring up later, but yeah. because of all these characters popping up. The women in this film, really, to every last one of them, is really capable. Mm. And it's a really interesting look at these characters. She, let's face it, Bogie comes in because he wants to look at the bookstore across the street. She instantly sizes him up. He sizes her up. We're supposed to think that she closes the store so they can have a private drink. They totally do it.
1: They do. They do. There's no way to see it otherwise, because suddenly it's night or something.
0: But it's actually also a really modern take on sexuality, because there's nothing really like... Look down upon us. It's just like, hey, you want to? Yeah, I do. Oh, well, let's go. I like they do it. They come back, and there's none of this. So, will I see you again? No, he, big just pats her, he pats her on the mm-hmm. arm and says, So long, pal. And she seems totally fine with it. Yeah. It's like, you know what? Good for her and good for him.
1: How does she make closing a window shade sexy? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't I honestly, it's baffling to me. The cab driver. Oh, the, Even cab, the cab, driver. cab driver. She's is adorable. Like, Joy Barlow as the cab driver. By the way, there, this was uh, not necessarily in the script, but. Hawks basically decided, and this is kind of, I think, his fantasy, that every woman in the movie would find Marlowe irresistible. Well, they do. They do. They're, all of them are throwing themselves and at him.
0: Part of me is like, really? I mean, okay, let's face it, it's Bogey. He has charisma. Yeah. But there is a line in there where somebody says, um, actually, I think it's Carmen who says, is he as cute as you are? And he, he responds, nobody is. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a, a great like, line. Have you seen Humphrey? Right up
1: close because <laughs> it's it's the magnetism. It's not cute. But. I also I liked her line that again the book bookstor- be bookstore proprietress. Who by the way I read the book. Mm-hmm. She's referred to simply as the Jewess. Uh, oh yeah, she's Jewish. Man. Okay, because that was uh, the oh because yeah. she worked in a books. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know either. And/or the Malone, hey. not a very Jewish name, but I like that. <laughs> you interest you begin to interest me vaguely. <laughs>
0: Yeah, she, mm. I, the women in this film really, even Agnes. Mm-hmm. I mean, Agnes she knows what she wants. She's a hard she luck wants. case.
1: She knows what she wants. She's, you know, bitter, cynical. Even Mrs. Eddie Mars, who does not have a name in this movie except the character's name is apparently Mona. Sure. We don't know that. No. The only way I knew it is from the credits. But, uh, She's all, She has, like, what, three lines.
0: And then, yeah, we have sh- questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll get to the questions. Oh, yeah.
1: I got a bunch of questions about that, and I'm not sure I can answer. Yeah. No, we're going to try. Yeah.
0: I You know, Eddie Mars is fine. He is. He's a good, solid. Uh, John Ridgely, he's fine. Yeah. Um, who else do we have? Anybody else in there? Really? Well, it's Regis
1: Toomey as Bernie, you know,
0: the the inspector. You know, I really liked the relationship between Marlowe and Bernie, because it's like, it wasn't the typical, like, it was not Maltese Falcon, where it's like, we know each other, we respect each other, but we're going to treat each other like crap if the job calls for it. It
1: often happens in a lot of these film-noirs, films-noirs, 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 we've decided, uh, (laughs) that there's always, there's kind of an antagonistic relationship between the the private detective and and the police, yeah. as there often is, because sure. the, the existence of private detectives are, is basically an assumption that the police can't do the job.
0: Well, except that it was pointed out at, at one scene that he actually has a deputy's badge. Yeah, so, so he works very close. He works with them. Yeah, I, I it's I'd, I'd a different really take. like. Yeah, it's, there's not much of the relationship. And if you're wearing headphones when you listen to the film then you can hear some of the dialogue on the phone. And you hear, obviously, you always hear bogeys half of it, but there is actually dialogue going on you can hear from other people he's talking to. And it's just obvious, it's like, hey, if i got a bone, I'll throw it to you. Okay, Mm -hmm. no problem. And he does, except for the initial thing. He tries to sort of sweep that under the rug. But to be fair, what seems really obvious, oh, Carmen must have killed Geiger becomes very not clear, and then later Geiger disappears and then is brought back and put in bed and fully clothed. We don't know by whom or how or why. No. Yeah. So who knows?
1: And then there's like the thugs... There's sure. Canino. He well, did, he's fine. He's very threatening. He's very scary. And and Pete and Sidney are they're more for comic relief, or at least um I think Sydney is. Well we always like what what's he good at? Yeah, him? He's company for Pete. That's where the the famous thing that even <laughs> He said Doug that. Was, that's what the man said. said he said, said that. that. <laughs> yep, that's yeah. where it comes from.
0: Yeah, I didn't know until this yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Yeah, it's The one thing I will say, and you made mention of this when you brought up Howard Hawks in Mm -hmm. your opening, is that sometimes the dialogue is a little too fast. Yeah, people talk over each other a lot. It's not so much that. Mm. It's that there's no breathing space, and it feels scripted. Yeah, sometimes. The the dialogue itself is very sharp. Oh, yeah. It's very crisp, and some of it's very funny. But the way it's delivered, you can tell somebody is, like, cracking a whip back there, and... Yeah. You know, I say you say I
1: say it's just the feeling fast. Howard Hawks is like shooting at their feet or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, so that's that is a complaint I do have is I do yeah. think that things are a little.
1: So that's it's very fast. Some of the byplay though, especially between Bogey and Bacall, I love the scene where she first comes to his office and. They're, like, trying to out-bluff each other. You know, why haven't you called the police? And she calls the police, so they start going back. And, uh, oh, the police? There's no I, There's no policeman here. You better talk to my mother. <laughs> oh, you better talk to my father. And, just, you know, obviously driving some poor desk sergeant out of his mind. Yeah. But the way they, they get the rhythm going, and they each knows exactly how the other is. It's like, yes, I know it's scripted. But it's like they're in their heads; they see the script. The sure, characters do not. Just yeah, the two actors. people who
0: know each other and
1: just you know yep. have that sort of by play, exactly. And being
0: able to finish each other's sandwiches. Yeah, not like anyone I know. Anyway, <laughs> uh, well, question brought this up to mm-hmm. that whole little scene where he uh, goes into disguise, and I've got to admit, mm-hmm. even though he does those simple things and changes his persona, mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't have recognized him if he came in as Marlowe and not. Was he trying to be gay? Is that what that was? I think he was
1: just trying to be prissy. Okay. I think I think it was just trying to be like, oh yes, I'm just a harmless you know book nut or into birds or whatever he's doing because it felt very much like
0: somebody pretending to be gay that had no idea what gay was.
1: I, you you could make that argument. I I didn't see it that way. I just thought yeah. he was trying to be, oh look, you know Marlo, I'm a tough guy, so I'm going to be a little yeah. you know Nancy boy. I gotta say I gotta give gay. the movie <laughs> the movie credit for this. <laughs> There is, it's fun to, or it's nice to see Marlowe doing actual detective things, things that private detectives actually do. You mean like putting their fingerprints on every last apart object from ex- the crime ex- scene? Apart from the <laughs> fact that he doesn't seem to know fingerprints exist. <laughs> he, yeah, that's he kind of touches. He does up, I'm going to handle everything <laughs> with
0: my bare hands. I'm oh. surprised he doesn't like scrape some skin off and say, you know, someday they're going to invent <laughs> DNA and I want to be there first.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, I'm sure he left his cigarette butts all over the place. <laughs> his business cards, his car, his car keys. But I mean, first <laughs> off, going in disguise, in a convincing disguise, but also we see a lot of him just sitting in his car yeah. watching. I've known a couple of private detectives, and both of them have told me, honestly, that's most of what the job is. You have to, You get really good at bladder control. <laughs> And sitting in your car and eating junk food Mm. and staring at windows and waiting. And there's that. And he does research. He, like, goes to libraries. He works things out. Yeah. He does a lot of the nitty-gritty stuff. And you don't see that in a lot of these detective movies. No.
0: And, you know, you bring up a a good point, too. I really feel bad for today's mystery authors, people writing Mm. mysteries in current day. Because... I'm going to say half of any detective work that might have made it to the screen would have been down to somebody pulling out their phone and typing a couple of things yeah, in. It's like yeah. there's no library, there's no talking to anybody about these books.
1: Who's like... You know, I've got access to all these public records. I I feel bad for them because now every, like, mystery nerd can sit there going, excuse me, on page 135, the detective utilizes this fingerprint method, which has not been used in 15 years. And on page 5, she wears a hat. So how does that make (laughs) sense?
0: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I so yeah, I in some ways I appreciate what you're saying. On mm-hmm. the other, I just kept saying, Why is he picking things yeah, up? Yeah. And he doesn't actually wipe anything off, even after he's picked it up. So yeah, good luck with the it. good. It's a good thing that he and, and his buddy there are so close friends. Yeah. Like Eddie yeah. or Murray or whatever Murray the cop <laughs> right. <Must laughs> That's right.
1: Bernie. Yeah. <laughs> Bernie. I gotta talk a little about the story. <laughs> <Come> <laughs> the on. complex convoluted plot, that yeah. part. Yeah. Not to mention the fact Okay, I have a bunch of things that I don't think were answered. Oh, you, oh, we're going to get to the questions now. Yeah, right. let's get to the questions. I have a whole list of them. <laughs> who who killed Owen Brady, the, dry, the, the chauffeur, the guy who may or may not have killed Geiger? He's the guy who gets hit in the head yeah. and his car drives off. Yeah. Joe Brody says, yeah, I hit him in the head and left him in the car. And there's no reason to think Joe's lying. Well... But how did he get... Into the into the bay, ten miles away. Well, I also want to know why does o, the name of the chauffeur
0: is Owen? Why does yeah. Owen have the photo? Yeah, the where best, did he get it? The best I can come up with is that Owen had been following Carmen because uh-huh. he was in love with her. There okay. was a throwaway line where yeah. they talked about that because she, Carmen also says she has no time for him; she's not interested.
1: Yeah.
0: So he was on the spot, saw what was going on. The problem is, is that there's a weird. Very obvious order to what happens in the house, which we don't see, mm. which is the flash goes off in the camera, so they yeah. take a picture of her.
1: Yeah.
0: Then there's a scream. We assume, and her. then there are the shots. Yeah. Well, there's only one woman there. Yeah. So they didn't take a picture after the killing. They took it before. So yeah. then, who killed Geiger? And what would the... it have been, Owen? Mm. Because Geiger was trying to blackmail, blackmail Carmen. Um, I guess if Owen had the photo, it was to save Carmen, although why he didn't take her with him, I don't know, because there would have been no reason to leave her
1: there. I I don't know. And I think we see two people leave the house, we, don't we? We see more than two, because we see two cars go away. So, who yeah, are they? I, yeah.
0: Well, <laughs> well, one of them supposedly is Joe Brody, right? Because Joe admits yeah. that he was he there. He was
1: there. Probably one of them is Mars. Okay, I guess. And maybe one of his flunkies. And we know maybe, one of them was Owen. Maybe him. Yeah, I guess. We, we don't know. We're never told. I don't know. Also, I, toward the end, when... Uh, oh, I'm not done. Oh, oh, you're not done. Okay. How did they get the photo?
0: It was supposed to be at the bottom of the bay. So if uh. Eddie Mars... No, was Joe, who coshed Owen? Was it Joe Brody or was it Eddie Mars? Who, I thought it was Eddie uh, Mars.
1: Ed, no, who, who coshed who? Owen. Owen? Joe Brody confesses to it. Okay, so if Joe Brody coshed Owen, why didn't he have the photo? He did. Joe Brody
0: did have the photo. Oh, because he's with Agnes. Yes,
1: Yes. See? Yes,
0: it's very
1: complicated. (laughs) Okay, maybe that part makes sense. Let's move on, quick. (laughs) Okay, when Marlowe gets a tip, you know, which the the information that gets uh, poor Jonesy killed. Yeah. That Sean Regan may be down with Mrs. Eddie Mars in some place called Rio yeah Yep. Outside Rio. Outside Rio in this little garage. G- yeah. Which I don't. <laughs> I don't know how they get any business. Doesn't look yeah. like there's anyone for fifty miles. Yeah. Well, why to to that. is Vivian down there with Mrs. Eddie Mars? Well.
0: Remember we're, mm-hmm. we they had a little plot back at the gambling den to prove that there was nothing going on between Mars and mrs. Rutledge. right, okay? because otherwise people would know there was something between them. <laughs> and and why, why would that be bad? Well, except that there wasn't right so um, why does, yeah. uh, why does that thug Carol kill yeah. Joe?
1: <laughs> Uh, I think he was trying to avenge uh, Geiger. Okay. There, in the book, I remember reading the book a long time ago. There's a little sort of implication that Carol was uh, in love with Geiger. Really. A very, very subtle, huh? Would have to have been for the '30s. But it's also just you know very he's loyal, something like that. Yeah, I, I okay. don't know why she's there. No, Mrs. A guy. Mrs. Mars disappears almost immediately after about three lines. Yeah, and they leave her there. Yeah, They don't take her with them for
0: reasons. And here's the other thing. Was Mrs. Mars off with Sean Regan? We don't know! (laughs) She says
1: third base. She says no. She says they were never more than good friends. Do we believe her? I don't know. He's on third and I don't care. <laughs> well, we have to guess that Eddie Mars kills Sean Regan. But he didn't. Well, no, he
0: says he didn't. Right. But the only reason he would have to kill him, or anybody to kill him,
1: right. was that he actually was going off with Mars's wife. But if he and if he wasn't. Then Mars has no motive, right. which of course is explained sort of at the end when we find out who actually did kill Sean Regan, which was Carmen,
0: and she killed Sean Regan because she wasn't interested in him. Uh, that was a question. That was not a statement of fact. Yeah,
1: I don't, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I think she was she killed him because plot or crazy or. Uh, she got confused. She didn't know how guns work. I don't. It, we don't know. And also, what gets me is Marlowe is just guessing at this point. He has zero evidence for any of that.
0: Well, and the other problem is that Joe Brody has no motive to kill Geiger, but Owen does. Right? Because he's. But a, if yes. Owen killed Geiger, why did Carol kill Brody? <laughs> And then, you know, Mars kills Regan. then why? Because then he says, she says, no, I wasn't off with Sean Regan. I want to know where he is, too, because he's obviously not around.
1: Yeah. Um, Uh, And I would like to point out the very end is a much more happy ending than the book. In the book, Vivian and Marlowe don't end up together. Because, of course, Philip Marlowe doesn't end up with anybody. Philip Marlowe is always alone. Well, It is a very sweet line. I do like that. When she says, what, what about me? And he looks at her and goes, what's wrong with you? There's nothing you can't fix.
0: Well, and then at some point he says the amazingly romantic and deeply felt line, mm-hmm. I
1: guess I'm in love with you. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> but, that, that is like the most Minnesotan line in the movie. <laughs> is it funny or are you mad?
0: Uh, I, so I have a question about those two. Do mm-hmm. we buy the relationship between Marlowe and Rutledge?
1: Yeah, I think so. Really? Well, I'm sorry. It's really hard to separate it from Bogey and Bacall. Right. was such amazing chemistry. I don't know, because... Phew,
0: I think yeah. the, of all the byplay play yeah. and stuff, we never get to see the real
1: either of them. That's true. They're always hiding something. One is hiding something from the other. We They don't really... Of I mean, course, I, she does save his life.
0: Okay, I honestly think that we know more about Marlowe than we do about Mrs. Rutledge, and that's not saying much.
1: It ain't. Except that he lies about his age and his height.
0: (laughs) 38?
1: Really? Come on, man. (laughs) Okay. Well, to be fair, Humphrey Bogart has looked like he was 50 since he was 20.
0: Yeah, but...
1: Very craggy I don't think any of us was buying that one. No, I don't think so. But He brings up a really interesting point, too. What point? How come Eddie didn't recognize Carmen... If yeah. he, if he's convinced that she killed Regan, <laughs> no one answers that. I love it because the whole cast for one second looks like, <laughs> oh, oh, that's a good oh. point. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Uh, I don't know. There's so many unanswered questions. Mm -hmm. And if any of our listeners decide they want to write in and tell us, no, you see, it's this. Yeah, did we miss something? Now, I've only seen this film twice. And the first time, as I said, I had a life-threatening. Well, it wasn't (laughs) life-threatening. But I had a a bad sickness. So I I can put that down to to maybe being sick. But the second time, I sat there and watched it with my headphones on, taking notes, and I was like, Huh? Mm. I mean, we're not talking last episode of The Prisoner, but we're getting, like, maybe next to last episode. <laughs> so, mm. it's... Uh, yeah, it's a big question. You know, I have another big question. What's that? Should we get to the end and decide whether all this... Oh, no, I... um, wait, wait. I predict Max has at
1: least one more note. Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> First of all, whenever they were at Laverne Terrace, all I could think of was, Hello, Laverne Terrace. Hello, Shoyle Terrace. Okay. And... The, That's I have to say the general has one of my favorite lines in this movie, and it has summed up my feeling about a particular type of flo- of flower my whole life when okay. I first oh, heard yeah, orchids. Yeah, you know, when when he asks Marlowe when he's visiting him in the hothouse, you know, as he says, I seem to survive mostly on heat, like a newborn spider. And as he he says, "Do you like orchids?" And Marlowe very honestly says, "Not particularly." And he goes, "Neither do I." Nasty things. Their flesh is too much like the flesh of men. And I remember thinking, that's it. I've touched an orchid, and they feel creepy. They feel like meat. I'm sorry. What's wrong with the flesh of men? <laughs> Not <laughs> enough flour. Oh, <laughs> it's gross. Is that like deep flower Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think we can move on to the wrap-up. The finish. Some axe. Some acts. Yes? <laughs> Don't pretend that you're giving
0: it to me. I win every week. You know why? Because Cheat. I edit the show. <laughs> So, Max, yes? we had a lot of questions uh, at the end. Of the plot questions. does not make a lot of sense. No. Uh, I will say it does have a lot of noir elements Very to it. Noir-y. It's got Bogey, it's got Bacall, it's yep. black and white, blah, blah, blah. Uh, it has a really impressive set, that Geiger. Yeah. That is a set, that house with the. Yeah, that's, that's a set. Very that's impressive great. stuff.
1: But does it hold up? It's in an 80 year old film, but does it hold up? For me, yes. I really like this movie I know it leaves There are holes you could drive a Packard through <laughs> A gray Packard A gray Packard, yes <laughs> You could drive a, 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 an entire an entire convoy of trucks Through some of the plot holes I get that I just really like it I love the dialogue is so sharp I love the way it looks This is like classic Night and shadow Light mm. and shadow And rain And <laughs> lots of rain There has to be rain <laughs> If classic film noir, Bogey and Bacall, I don't care if the characters don't make sense, they work so well. Well, and they proved that one, didn't they? They did indeed. She was with him until he died. You know, he formed the original Rat Pack. How? He, he tended to go out drinking a great deal with a lot of people, including eventually a, very, a fairly young Frank Sinatra. One night, they came back looking absolutely dr- horrible, from dr- you know, hadn't slept, hadn't changed their clothes, and Lauren Bacall allegedly looked at him and said, you look like some kind of damn Rat Pack. Oh, and hmm. supposedly that is where the name came from. Huh? And Meat. Sinatra took it over later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I like this movie. Again, the pacing is so good. The, uh, I like Howard Hawks' dialogue. I just really, I I know it's a pain in the neck, and you really want to. You like? Give me a minute. Hang on. Yeah. I like. You left me behind a couple of pages ago. <gasps> And uh, I I love all the little characters. Every character in there is interesting. and Pretty much everyone you meet in this movie, I want to know more about. Even the butler Norris, that line when he's walking out, he's had a fight with uh, uh, Lorne Bacall, and Bogie turns to him and says, Oh, Norris, you you were mistaken. Mrs. Rutledge didn't want to see me. And he goes, Yes, sir, I make many mistakes. (laughs) It's like, Yeah, I know. The two know exactly what they're saying to each other. Everybody did. <laughs> Sorry. That's what about what interview. about you? Does it hold up for you? You. This is only the second time you've seen it. It
0: is only for one and a half, yeah, to be yeah. fair. You know, the first time you've dreams. seen
1: it when you're fully compass mentis, yeah. or as much as you ever are. Fired.
0: <laughs> well, so we have the weird choice of direction with the dialogue being too fast. Mm. We have the many plot elements that no one can answer, not even the author of the original book on which this <laughs> film is based. Yeah. We have just some convoluted other plot lines and stuff that don't come together. And I just, I have to say that somehow it works, (laughs) and I don't know why. Well, of course I do. We have these bigger-than-life personalities, and we want to see Bogey succeed. We want, you know, whether he's playing Sam Spade or Philip Marlowe or whoever, it's it's, it's the same character. Yeah, it really is. And we love Lauren Bacall because she... Feels like she drinks, fights, smokes, and does everything else as hard as the guys, and yet is not a guy. No, she's not masculine. She's not... It's like uh, if you put her and Catherine Hepburn in a steel cage, I do not know who would win. I I (laughs) think the entire
1: gravity well of the Earth would collapse. Yeah, man, we we must make sure. I'm glad that never happened. I don't think we would have survived. (laughs) So, yeah, I don't know
0: why it works. There are so many reasons it shouldn't, Mm -hmm. and it's still I find it very enjoyable. It is very much noir. It's a little bit more lighthearted in places than noir. It's. Again, there's some suggestions of all sorts of sex that's probably going
1: on, even though it's in a bookstore, like you can't do that. In the book, by the way, Carmen is described quite bluntly as a nymphomaniac. Which
0: I don't think it's much of a stretch in the film. Mm. I mean, you know, pretty much every guy except one. There's one guy she's not interested in. Who was it?
1: I thought it was, no. I thought it was Regan. No. No,
0: because we don't see him. Yeah, There's I one can't guy remember. she's just <laughs> like, eh, I'm not interested in him. Yeah. Might have been Mars.
1: Mm. Oh, I think it was Eddie I, I think, think it, it was Mars. Eddie Mars, yeah. The Eyes so, of Eddie Mars.
0: N- no. <laughs> Seven five times I've fired you this episode.
1: <laughs>
0: Where's that pony? So, yeah, I think it holds up. And I think if you like classic film noir, if you mm. like bo- bogey and Book Hall, I. You know, you can't do. If you
1: like movies, I'm sorry. (laughs) If you like movies, you'll like this movie. I, I I can see if people are not interested, that's fine.
0: But I think for what it is, it it shouldn't work. It really shouldn't, but it does.
1: But you know what else really works well? Nice segue there. What works well? Tell me. Our poll question. My goodness, (laughs) if I don't do it, you won't. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) But next for uh, next week, we would like you to ponder. When you watch a mystery or a thriller, do you prefer to try to figure out who done it in advance, or do you just like to let the story carry you along? And you can answer that by emailing us at us at maxmikemovies.com for extra bumpy bucks and plot holes, <laughs> or you can go to our website, maxmikemovies.com, and leave us a comment. You know, tell us about that you like the series, do you have suggestions for other series, are we absolutely wrong about something, or you can praise us deeply and richly and tell us how handsome and clever we all are, except for Mike. And uh, Hey! <laughs> eight times. And you can find us on the Facebook. Just say Facebook. No. That was the original name. Nine times. <laughs> and leave us a comment, because we always post the poll question there. You can unf- not find us, I'm afraid, on X. The X Men? No, no, no. X uh, X and Sever. No. Los hombres haki yeah. versus los malos mutantes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, formerly known as Twitter. You cannot find us there. Don't try. Nope. We still haven't found. And of course, we are on many many podcast apps. We're not on YouTube Music yet, oh. which I really hope we end up there because apparently Google Podcast is going away next year. It is. Yeah, that's dumb. Well this is the, this will be the third Google podcast type app that has been killed by Google in the last about 10 or 15 years. Why? They're trying to squeeze everything into YouTube Music. No. Apparently a lot more people use YouTube Music than use Google Podcasts. Oh. Mm. But you can also use many many other podcast apps. Yeah. But we aren't even halfway through because we are now doing a special super extended fudgy coated chocolatey goodness series of Walk the Dark Street. And what's our next entry? What's our next chunk of nougat, Mike? Nougat? (laughs) Sure, why not? What is nougat? Answer me that, Uh,
0: kid crusader. (laughs) Uh, you know, after nine times of firing you, <laughs> I think I'm gonna take out a little insurance policy. Oh really? Yeah. And you know what happens when you take out insurance policy? You pay mm. for those little extra sidecars. Uh-huh. That's the proper term. Sidecar if you didn't it? know. Yeah, sidecar uh, insurance. Know that in yeah, fact. it's true. And uh, one of those side cars <laughs> it's not true. It is. Don't listen, he's been fired. <laughs> one of those little sidecars uh-huh. is uh what happens if you uh die and mm. there's Double... Mint Pleasure! Oh. No, Double Indemnity. Not the Double Mint Murders? No. No. Oh. <laughs> double Indemnity. Uh, oh. I think I heard somewhere someone claims that this is the first film noir oh, or wow. considered by. I don't know if that's true. It's we'll certainly find out.
1: famous as hell. Whenever anyone talks about film noir, they talk about that one. But
0: interestingly, stars... America's dad, yeah. Fred McMurray. Da, da, da,
1: da, and, uh, I killed this guy. I killed my sons, <laughs> all my three sons.
0: Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um,
1: I think the murder I, weapon was
0: flubber. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, so the spoiler, again, Mm. an 80-year-old movie, if you haven't seen it, where mm, uh, he does not play a nice person in this film, and I'm wondering how that's going to hold up, and uh, what does double indemnity mean? Well, I know one person who's about to find out.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah? Well, I'll see your indemnity and double it. Ha-ha! You fell right into my trap. Curses! And
0: so will you next week.